0: Hi everyone, this is Secret, and as I edit this episode in February 2023, I just want you to know that it was recorded in July 2022, so there may be things in here, especially as we discuss Russian hockey players that are slightly out of date. Just FYI, thanks for listening. I never want to feel your skin running warm along my side. I never want to sink that way again. It would be easier to die. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the time and the place, the greatest story ever told, on with the show.
1: I don't have an excuse for myself other than I was just on Lex learning about a man named Brandon who just wants intellectuals and that's, and that's great for me, sounds great. I'm so excited. <clears throat> we're not here to talk about Brandon's who watch anime with intellectual uh, women. What are we here to talk
0: about? I simply cannot endure tater. <laughs> Welcome back to Check This Please, a podcast that's been recorded twice in one week. Today we're going to be talking about comic number three point three. Meet the Falconers. Do I have to? It was originally uh, posted on April seventeenth, twenty sixteen. I am secret, and who actually remembered what time we were recording today?
1: Hi, I'm Tomato. It was me. One of the only times I've been punctual in the last two years. And it's interesting because it's not like we have
0: anywhere else to be. But sitting on Zoom, recording our podcast about. The Falconers?
1: Uh, I tried to think of something funny to say, but I didn't. So um, listen, I'm working on jokes. They'll come out eventually. Just like Jack. Anyway, in the meantime, here's what happens in this beautiful strip. After Biddy reminds us all that Jack's in the NHL now, Tater, Alexei Nashkov, takes control of the camera in a Felks TV segment, during which he introduces us to the Falconers, a new handful of unimportant characters, before telling Jack he likes Jack's girlfriend's cooking and wants to come over for dinner. Meanwhile, back at Samwell, the hockey team drools over the Falconers and admires Biddy's font of insider NHL knowledge. Later that night, we learn that Biddy and Jack actually Skype every night and that they're keeping their relationship a secret in order to protect Jack's career. Sighing sadly, Jack suggests that the Falconers could at least meet Sam Loman's Hockey after a game, then chastises Biddy before his poor studying habits, before finally proceeding to spin tales of big sweaty men sacrificing the body and pounding each other on the ice, lulling Biddy to sleep. So, thank you.
0: I have I have looked it up. Falconer. Noun. A person who breeds, trains, or hunts with hawks. Jack is a medieval falconer.
1: Probably be happier than
0: as a hockey player. Well, it's just that like his father was, you know, one of the all time best crusaders. (laughs) And he knows he has to go fight the (laughs) infidels. but he has a lot of anxiety about it here's the thing I'm not excited to meet the falconers I mean I'm certainly excited to talk about this strip but we're starting to get into like check please things that I'm just like why do we like I can't get it up for all of these men (laughs) also there's a lot in this strip actually like only when I started thinking about, okay, what's in here that we actually have to discuss and how are we going to break it down, did I realize that, like, there are multiple different things going on. It has, like, effectively four different sort of, like, segments to it, and multiple different things are being introduced or we're reminded of them or new stakes are being raised now will we
1: see these stakes matter ever yeah i also want to point out very excitingly that jack uses one exclamation point which i think is really just wow maybe the most emotional we've ever heard of except for that time he was weeping about his dad. So it's basically like excitement about Tater, dad problems. That's Jack's emotional range. Wow.
0: I can't believe Jack uses an exclamation point,
1: like some sort of top. I know.
0: God. All right. Well, okay. Shall we meet the Falconers? I guess we have to. Sure. Why do we have to meet the Falconers? Like. We already have so many characters in this comic. Um, Here's what I wrote down. (laughs) Number one, the actual players on Jack's new hockey team diversify the cast in various ways. One of them is Russian. One of them is Black. One of them is Quebecois. I guess we already have that in the comic, so not doing us any favors.
1: But he's over 30, so wow.
0: That's right. A lot of them are old. And by old, I mean they're hockey players who are old. So they're probably, what, in their mid-30s? <laughs> we meet somebody who farts. They also, because they are NHL players, broaden the hockey scope of the comic from college to the NHL. So we're moving from uh, Samuel men's hockey to this real-world circumstance which is a different kind of engagement than what we're sort of seeing in the context of the college hockey team. We get new people for Ngozi to draw. I think that she gets bored of drawing the same things and the same faces and the same people over and over again. I think it's actually fun for her to like make up and design new set pieces, new characters, etc. cetera and this is giving her a lot of opportunity to do that. Also, Jack is now largely isolated from the team that is purportedly the cast of the comic, so he needs people to like talk to. Not that they have any really good conversations, but these are the people who are now populating his world, and I think it's eventually we can get into talking about is it good that this is the circumstance like perhaps this shouldn't be a need that the comic necessarily has that said he's now isolated from everybody else so here's who he's going to be surrounded by also he needs people to come out to as an androsexual
1: yeah and I think this is like really the big reason for all of these as they say, Andro's around him. The stakes of coming out have already been heightened beyond like Just One's group of friends, right? Because Biddy has already come out to this group of friends and so therefore there would be no like narrative tension. Wait, I forgot we don't like tension in this comic, but you know, let's pretend for a second that we did. It kind of like wouldn't have the same payoff because we've already seen that kind of coming out. So having this number of people around Jack because coming out is gonna be such a big part of a comic, like allows for those heightened professional stakes because obviously in the NHL like nobody is gay. <laughs> Duh. I also think that if we assume that the third year arc was supposed to be more focused on Kent and Jack within the NHL which I'm sure we'll we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about as these trips go on it makes sense to give Jack like more emotional and social context for his NHL career because we also see a little bit at least of Kent in his NHL career. Kent is like fairly isolated from his Teammates, and we can see Jack's, you know, there's a juxtaposition there to be to be delved if the author had decided to indeed do that. So I think that's part of what this setup was was in preparation for like a greater examination of the NHL.
0: Where the comic is going, at least for this year of it, is effectively much of it is about Jack and Biddy coming out. Some might say all of it. Slowly but surely, the number of people who know that they are dating and in Jack's case, heterosexual is like expanding outward and increasing throughout the year of the comic until, as has been foreshadowed in the first comic, Biddy tells the whole world that they are dating. This raises the stakes that there's this traditionally homophobic and somewhat repressed social structure that Jack is now stuck in it's going to mean a lot and supposedly have weight if he comes out to these people in you know however many strips it takes us to get there we'll we'll tell you if we think that this is successfully pulled off but yeah that's basically basically the the main function of this particular team beyond that they create some amount of verisimilitude about what an NHL hockey team is like, and beyond that, they sort of broaden the cast in a way that, at the very least, is like visually interesting. They pretty much work to be the, the, body that is going to embrace Jack in his confessional.
1: It's also worth talking about that. It's it's not the drawing of these people that is the narrative problem. Like, sure, show us Jack in the NHL, whatever. It's the fact that they're all introduced by name and like with just enough information that we're juggling as readers, like, oh, we have to remember this guy farts or whatever. Do you know what I mean? If it were just like Jack going through the NHL and we saw these people in the background and we had a couple of interactions with them, fine. There's lots of ways to introduce like visual interest without necessarily creating this narrative connection to each of these characters. So that's, that's also something to consider as like an option that could have potentially not made us sit through all of these fucking names that don't matter. Here's why
0: I really think we just like don't need these people. Number one is we already have met Jack's boss, George. So George effectively already represents the team broadly construed. She's not a hockey player, but we've already just through the course of her couple of appearances begin to see that like Jack has a relationship with her. She's done the most for him. She went to his graduation for some befuddling reason uh, that, that you can find out more about if you go back and listen to the episode about Jack's graduation. They have an ongoing relationship and she's the person who pulled him into this team. And she also is like the management So effectively, I think it would really work sort of elegantly if she just kind of represented the team more broadly and her role was deepened. She just like has this significant moment where Jack actively comes out to her. And in some senses, that's a very like affecting moment But in other senses, it's sort of like lower value than I would think it would be because we've spent so much time like faffing around with Tater when the relationship between Jack and this one character who already exists, who we already know, has not been deepened sufficiently while he's actually like working for her on her hockey team this is this conservation of characters principle where it's not that like an upper management figure who isn't actually on the hockey team and doesn't actually represent the hockey player writ large is necessarily the best person to like be the symbol but she's already in the comic she's already been in the comic for a year why would you not lean into this one character?
1: Because George is a woman in a world largely populated by white men and a woman of color in a world largely populated by white men. I also think that she's like uniquely positioned to provide further context for what it means as for Jack as like a gay hockey player to exist in this like repressed, patriarchal, highly violent world. Unfortunately, this comic is pretty bad with women. So I'm not saying that like that's 100% what's up I'm not saying that Ngozi can't write women just that in this particular comic they tend to be underserved so I wonder if that's like just more of that pattern right the same sort of like Lardo problem where Lardo matters but no she doesn't I wonder if we would have seen more of this relationship had more examination of like NHL culture actually gone into year three if Ngozi had dealt with those tensions like a little more in a more lingering way. I wonder whether George's position in power like could have actually become a, a sort of like axis upon which Jack's like, acceptance revolves a little bit. Maybe George could have been like a useful contact for him. It was was kind of implied she would be when he actually signs up with the Falcons. I think there's like a lot of reasons that it's not George. And I think part of it is just Ngozi's sort of like foibles as a creator, like always making new characters and throwing them in. I think the fact that she's a woman, unfortunately, is like part of the trouble that this particular comic, not Ngozi as a creator necessarily, but this particular comic has with women characters is that they just like don't seem to take up space on the page in any meaningful way, generally.
0: My basic point around this is that she's already in the comic. I think you could pick any one person to be sort of like the focal point for Jack's development as a falconer, and whatever that person's imagined backstory is, is the thing that that informs how you're supposed to interpret Jack's fitting in on the team and later coming out. And Gozi did write in some blog post when she introduced George. It's almost as if Jack is going to need somebody who's familiar with being in a minority position on a hockey team in order to basically like go to bat for him because we never really learn too much more about her and this relationship is simply like not deepened like he doesn't really understand where she's coming from we just lose this by kind of pushing her out of view and focusing his falconer's experience on the rest of the hockey team we also already have like a dozen other hockey players in the comic, many of whom are also not that well-developed, or we could stand to hear more about them. The one thing that the comic is not hurting for is hockey players. So I don't know, here's more.
1: None of the players we've met before have the skill and social power of NHL characters except for Kent. I think it's useful to have like a viewpoint into the NHL who isn't Ken and who isn't Jack. Like, I think that that could be useful. I don't just understand why we meet so many of them. We could like meet two of them, Max, and we could see Jack actually become close to those people. And then we could become invested as readers. And it would serve exactly the same purpose as having like all of these random people in the background. Developing these characters in a way that early first crew of Sam Wells Men's Hockey is developed could allow the coming out drama to be rooted in the text itself. So Jack could be worrying about relationships with specific people. And I think that that would like be effective in terms of its emotional investment from the reader instead of what is actually kind of happening here, which is like, we don't care about any of these people. We all know that homophobia is bad and horrible in the NHL. So coming out is hard because homophobia is bad in the NHL, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And rather than actually like Jack worrying about disrupting particular relationships that matter to us as the reader or to him, we're just kind of like, well, it's bad because he'll get his teeth knocked in, whatever. And like, that's not actually that effective in terms of narrative consequence because it's not any consequence in the text itself. I think that in the same way that Biddy's relationship with shitty is kind of like Biddy gets nervous about coming out and then shitty reassures him. Like we have in retrospect, not a lot of shitty, but enough of shitty that like that relationship feels like it could be troubled. And therefore it's like relieving when it goes well, we could, if there were like more development of NHL players, just one maybe, and like get rid of the most recent fucking tadpoles. Maybe we could like really care about somebody, but we don't. And so it doesn't happen. So whatever. I will also suggest the daddy issues that Jack clearly has could be dealt with via one older player, but it never happens. So that's what fanfics for, I guess. And I'm mad about it because what a perfectly positioned, like beautiful thing for Jack to have homoerotic daddy situation, you know, to figure out on the ice. But alas, Mgzi never goes there.
0: We're not really interested in that anymore is the thing. Like we've departed from that issue. Jack and his father appear to be at peace. With whatever happened between them, I think
1: by this we—I just want to make clear—certainly doesn't include secret at in me. It's more of a Ngozi royal. We, I'll be stuck in his daddy issues until I die.
0: Oh yeah, and like I'm, I'm interested to see with you what you do with those. Yeah, it seems that the comic has departed from a place where it's really concerned with Jack's um, <laughs> issues, a little bit coming up, but for the most part, he and his dad seem cool. <laughs> They had their one meaningful interaction at the end of year two and that's done. None of these characters, as I have hinted at very broadly are, are ever really developed enough to like make them interesting to me. It's nice to see different kinds of like fit, hot men with athletic prowess being drawn, I guess. But like, who are these people? What do they want? Why are they here? like how is 30 different than marty what is true of marty that is not true of snowy based on how they're drawn what positions they're said to play and like a minor amount of biographical detail that's peppered into extras yeah i can i can you know, give you the basic shape of like, what is true of Marty that's not true of Snowy? Marty is a married older man with children. He seems like, you know, an an old man. But, and, and Snowy is, seems younger and like he's kind of based on one of these wiry, goalie types of people. As human beings what do we know about these people and their characters and how does that actually like impact the story? Like the fact that there's material differences between these different looking, but still largely attractive men.
1: What are they bringing? What are they serving? Interesting to point out that they are more attractive conventionally than your average hockey player. Just, you know, just saying. woof. (laughs) I do also understand why Ngozi might not want to have investigated this in depth, but it's interesting to me that there's a Black character on the Falconers, which is pretty rare in hockey. Like, I think there's 26 or 30 Black hockey players in the NHL as of 2022. Even with a very light hand, like, acknowledging the specific structures that would impact that hockey player in the same way that acknowledging the way that, like, the patriarchy and race might impact George could have been something, like, that would sort of, reflect on Jack's situation and even if he was the older player that Jack eventually comes out to I think like there could have been something interesting there I'm also not a black creator and I understand that Ngozi might just not have wanted to engage with systemic racism in her like fun gay hockey comic and and I understand that but she is engaging with violent and his systemic homophobia so I don't know. It feels like it's a bit of a wasted narrative opportunity, even if she didn't want to like really dive into it to at least think about the ways that Jack might not have been like totally alone in this. It just doesn't feel great to see homophobia be framed in this way. That is like totally separate from other, other institutions, I guess, of bigotry. It feels kind of weird. I'm not a creator. Well, it's her
0: prerogative to explore or not explore whatever it is that she wants to but still it does happen to be the trend in this comic there's a lot that's tantalizing that's dropped in i think we i actually think we did a pretty good job talking about this in regard to lardo and shitty and the different facets of their relationship that could be examined. If you look at that, like, Shitty's Dibs extra comic from year two, I think we had, like, a pretty good conversation about, like, what are all of the various, like, interesting dimensions to this relationship that could be explored but simply aren't. But the thing is that it's, like, those issues are, like, in the background constantly. Drawing something into a graphic novel without discussing it using language is still text. It's a visual medium. So something appearing there, just because it's not commented upon either in blog posts or by other characters in the comic it's, it's still the text of the comic. Like, it's still existing in the comic. Regardless of even the racial dimension of it, like, as the artist, it is completely her prerogative to get as deeply into anything as she feels like or not if she doesn't. I am saying that oftentimes things are sort of present and simply unspoken and as the reader, my reaction is consistently like, there's a lot that could have been said about this. This might've actually been like a really interesting, a really interesting counterpoint. And like, I think the reason why this might've been a really interesting counterpoint is because the entire text of the comic is about what it's like to be different in hockey. Th- that That's it. That's the comic. <laughs> there are, Actually, Black men who play in the NHL. And as far as I'm aware, at the time that this comic was written, as far as anybody knew, there were no gay men anyone knew of playing in the NHL. You know, in in one sense, examining race is like a very messy real world thing that is painful because it has real people who are living this experience but the idea of the fanciful concept of jack coming out as a high profile nhl player is something that ngozi can fully idealize and control the narrative on because it's something that hadn't happened and i do think that like i think somebody's gay in hockey now but i think it's like some guy who got drafted.
1: It's some young kid who's who was like 18 and just got drafted, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, similarly, I'm not saying that Ngozi should deal with these things. I'm just saying that I think it would deepen any of the other ways in which marginalization and difference in professional hockey is sort of sprinkled into the background of the comic, it doesn't have to be super textual, right? It could just be slightly brought forward. A, a minor comment, George saying something like, yeah, I understand what it's like to be different or whatever, if, you, if you're if you getting into that like sort of idealism and romanticization that the, that the comic is really interested in, right? I think that that at least could deepen the experience that's being examined. And it's not that Ngozi has to explore these things. I think that it is a wasted opportunity that she didn't. And I think it would have improved ultimately what her her story was trying to tell. Because these things aren't disconnected, right? Like the homophobia of the NHL is connected to its misogyny. They just are, it just is. So to not address one of those things and to explicitly address the other, is just, I think doing a disservice to your own story. But whatever, anyway, it's fine. And everyone's happy and, and they solve homophobia. So it's fine, it's cool. I would point out that like,
0: none of these new characters really have motivations beyond just like being on the hockey team. <laughs> this really wasn't the case with the first group of characters we met. And I don't even think it's like the case with the frogs and now the tadpoles. You know, I could very succinctly tell you like what Shitty wants, what Whiskey wants, what Lardo wants. Minor amount of interiority that informs like how they operate within the sphere of the comic. And it's just like, the Falconers do not have that. Like, I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're doing. Bringing in all of these new characters, like, edges out room to develop the characters that we're already basically ignoring. Like, it's not so bad to have new faces to populate the world. And it does deepen, like, the world of the Falconers. But then also splitting the action between this and Samwell like divides focus in a way that seems just really unhelpful. Like there are so many plots back at Samwell that are simply not... Being developed, like every time we're like we have to hang out with the Falconers. That's time that we're not spending with the Samwell Men's Hockey Team. We also basically stop paying attention to the Falconers at a certain point in year four. It's not even a thread that's like carried to the end of the comic, it, uh, unless I'm misremembering. I feel like it's basically like they win the Stanley Cup and then it, it pretty much refocuses on like Biddy and Biddy's story. So it's sort of like we've developed these characters not well but they're here and then it's like well to what end like how are these let me put it this way how do these characters help us tell Biddy's story which is essentially what the comic is about supposedly all of this is to help us see the journey of of Biddy From freshman to newlywed. How does knowing 30 or knowing Poots help us understand Biddy and get Biddy from point A to point married?
1: I do think that originally there was maybe supposed to be more attention on this like difference between the real world of the NHL and the potential like dangers of that world. And I think that that juxtaposition of Biddy's sort of bubble and Jack's being thrust out into the real world, like I think that could help tell Biddy's story in some way. I don't think it works, like it doesn't happen. But I think that there's a potential there for um, for how it could help Biddy's story if Year three had sort of proceeded according to what I perhaps conspiracy theory-esque believe was its original plan.
0: I think there is a reading
1: that um,
0: I would describe as charitable, that all of this like tension and bouncing back and forth between Samwell and the Falconers is kind of mirroring the tone of Biddy's experience, which is that his attention is like split between his new relationship with Jack, which is sort of symbolized by everything that's going on with the Falconers. And then also the fact that like, he's still at Samwell, he's still a student, he's still on that team, et cetera. Unfortunately, at the end of this year of the comic, he becomes the captain of the Samwell team. And so we spend a lot of time dealing with like, Jack and his thing. (laughs) and his team, and his co-workers, instead of, like, seeing what Biddy is doing to earn this captaincy at the end of the year, Biddy's attention is split between these these two places, and that's why the comic is is giving us both, and it feels like there's a tension between these two different storylines. Doesn't really serve the ultimate conclusion of the year where he gets the captaincy like Biddy spent all of his time away from Samwell and now he's the king of Samwell
1: well the thing about Biddy is that he gets what he wants so if it's not your jam you should probably like find another jam Oh, yeah. Well, Biddy wins. Yeah, that is true. I really like this reading that the tension between the two storylines going on is a reflection of Biddy's perspective. I don't think it was purposeful, particularly, um, at least not in the way that it manifests ultimately, but I like it. It could have worked with Biddy becoming captain if more attention had been paid, not only to Biddy's sort of coming out, not coming out tension, which I think is where most of the attention for this part of the year goes, but rather on his struggle to manage his academics and his relationship and his (laughs) for some reason the word that came out of my mouth almost was falconry but I guess I mean hockey there's a way that it could make sense but it doesn't and instead what ends up happening is like that biddy is so good that biddy can do anything including become captain even when he's focused on a jack his uh, boyfriend you know what I mean so that's like sort of where we end up
0: Oh, I have no idea if this is intentional or not. I mean, it it is an implicit reading. I think like it's it's there. I think it's in the text. All right. So there is sort of one general like exception to my overarching complaint about the falconers are underdeveloped and we don't see enough of them. And it's who gives a shit and so on and so forth. And it's a little character by the name of Tater. I hate Tater. Jack already has a best friend character who supplies what this character is supposed to be supplying. Number two, he's a big, tall enforcer character who is gangly and rowdy and fun. And we already have at least two of those also in the supposed main cast. So really, what is this character bringing? It's that he is a funny, ha-ha, Russian space cadet who doesn't understand things and is speaking weird <laughs> for make comedy. It's not that Tater's very funny malapropisms and also silly but well-intended attitude. It's not that this is like never appealing to me and none of his anything in this comic ever works at all. That said, this is, I just find him annoying. He's annoying. And while he's annoying, I feel like he's basically just replicating things that are already in the comic. With the major exception of the fact that he is How do you say? I, yes, foreign. I'll give some credit to the fact that the main complaint about all these other stupid characters, the frogs and the waffles and the tadpoles and the falconers and Biddy is that they're underdeveloped and they, it's like they don't really have much of a function and like, who are they and why are they here? That's, not going on with Tater. In fact, Tater is the one of these characters who we see a lot of. He becomes part of the broader cast. i can I can call the mind what his deal is because he actually speaks about his his backstory and his he gets treated better than all of these other hockey player characters.
1: I am really curious how much of an exception to that he'll be because I, you know, for example, I remember shitty in a particular way. And when we went back and read, it turns out that some of that was in the comic and some of it was in extras and some of it was in fandom and some of it was simply my own fever dreams, you know? So I'm curious how much of that could possibly be true of Tater as well and whether like my memory exaggerates how he actually shows up in the comic like I'm curious to see that I don't hate Tater I feel distinctly ambivalent about Tater he's fine he's tall there he is yeah I agree completely with you that he's more or less fulfilling a role that already exists except for how he says you know he talks like I'm play hockey or whatever that's my very bad my very bad Russian accent Russian hockey players are a thing. So yeah, what about his accent? I specifically wanna say that as part of my semi-confirmed conspiracy theory about Ngozi's like travails and adventures through hockey RPF, a world that I was not in, but was adjacent to. Tater's manner of speaking is very reminiscent of a post that I can't remember who wrote it. So it's not helpful if I find it, I'll let you know. But someone wrote a specific post uh, who spoke Russian and English, wrote a specific post about Russian speakers' patterns in English and gave very specific examples, including, like, the way that Yevgeny Malkin spoke and the way that um, Alexander Semon spoke, etc. People who were known for not being super, super fluent in English, at least for part of their time um, in the U.S. And so the way that Tater speaks, I don't actually know that Ngozi read this very, very popular post on, like, live journal or wherever it was. But Uh, the way that Tater speaks mirrors to a T, as I recall, the specific examples given in that post. And so I just find that like an interesting, I didn't think about that till right now, but I find it interesting as someone who speaks another language and can recognize like those patterns in English. I think it's interesting that Ngozi so closely mirrors this one sort of like meta post. I'm a hockey player. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, there's a lot of Russians in the,
0: in the NHL. So it's, Not that kooky to find one on this professional hockey team. Uh, Hockey's big in Russia. There's a lot of them and also a lot of prominent ones.
1: More than, for example, the number of Black players in the NHL. I'll just like throw that in there as a comparison.
0: You know, we're recording this at an interesting time, as we have been the whole time because we started this podcast in April 2020. So... When has it not been interesting for us? One of the reasons it's an interesting time is because Russia is doing a war. and um this has completely changed the sort of international, <laughs> the international situation for, Russians, even even prominent ones coming in and out of the country. So something that I found interesting while I was kind of trying to figure out, like, what what's the deal with uh, Russian hockey players these days? There's some question, as reported by The Athletic earlier in July. There's some question as to whether or not many of these uh, Russian NHL players who went back to Russia for the summer break are even going to be allowed back into the U.S. for the next hockey season. The politics around it, I think this this quote that I'm going to read actually, actually kind of gets to the bottom of it. The league is in an awkward spot. It condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine when it started and has suspended business ties with Russia. But the league wants its many prominent Russian players to feel comfortable in the NHL and doesn't want to do anything to put their players' family members in harm's way. The NHL did ban the cup from traveling to Russia, and and from what I understand... I think there's like one guy on the the avalanche who that's the team that won the cup uh, this year, 2022. Apparently there's one guy who, yeah, was, was not allowed to take the cup home. All of this kind of speaks to the fact that like Russian players in the NHL is kind of like a form of soft diplomacy. They effectively bring Russian culture and ideas into the country. And it also makes Russia feel safer and more familiar in a way but as i think we'll kind of get into as far as european countries go this is a really interesting one for the fact that like for the vast majority of uh, i don't know the last century russia has been like a pretty a pretty significant enemy of the united states And um, our relations with them have been, I would say, probably the best when when we were mutually fighting Hitler. We'll get into it. I I actually I think this is this is pretty fascinating in, in a way that I wasn't necessarily expecting because, wow, Tater really annoys me.
1: Yeah, there's a long history of like hockey as this site of power between the U.S. and the USSR and then Russia. There is like this long history of meeting in international hockey arenas, literally, and kind of fighting out over who will be dominant in the sport and what does that mean about our cultures and on and on. Like the 1980 uh, Olympics was very famous for this, for example. And post-Cold War, there's a lot of interesting stuff, both in terms of like people who left Russia or or who left the USSR rather and made their way to the U.S. in hockey and without, um, particularly as the USSR started to open up. But also after the Cold War was actually over, like hockey players trying to join the NHL, but being essentially pressed into the the Russian league, the K something, I'm forgetting what the actual name of the league is right now, is I think Evgeny Malkin's story is quite interesting. Like he basically went on the lam while he was uh, he got an offer from the NHL. He wanted to join. He was essentially sort of like pressured into remaining in his local um, Magnetogorsk or whatever. I'm sorry for everyone who speaks Russian and can say the name of that town much better than I can. Anyhow, he's from a pretty industrial town and he was like important in that region's hockey. And so he was sort of like pressed into staying there. And then I, and then while he was like traveling with his hockey team, he like got in contact with his American agent and like, his passport was hidden and he like found it and hid in a bathroom and then was like was like gathered up by his American agent somewhere in Scandinavia and like smuggled to America. Anyway, it's like this whole very dramatic story. I might've gotten some details wrong. I did not that much research while preparing for this, but I seem to remember reading about that and being like, huh, that's wild. And this was, this was, you know, like 2000, know in the 2000s it wasn't certainly was long after the cold war was over so there's this like interesting history of talent going back and forth between europe and the u.s as part of this like cultural tension right which i think is like pretty significant between the between russia and the u.s when you are state sanctioned as an artist or athlete it can become very dangerous like literally dangerous right your family to to go against what the Russian state wants you to say and so I think that that's something that we've seen for a long time when we see like Russian hockey players for example like not come out against like the anti-LGBT laws in Russia, et cetera, right? There's like a specific political and personal reason that it's very difficult to do that if you are someone who still has family in Russia and who is still sort of like representing Russia on the global stage. So anyway, it's really complicated. (laughs) Um, I'm not an expert. I have some friends who are from the region Uh, or from various regions within Russia, actually. And and I I can only repeat what I know from them. I'm like, certainly not an expert. But since we're talking about marginalization and et cetera, and since we're talking about this, this thing where other characters could potentially help reflect what it means to be different in the NHL, even though there are so many Eastern European and Scandinavian players, in the NHL, you're still a fish out of water, right? You're still not in your home country. You're not speaking your native language. I think because Tater is such like a big part of the comic, he also could have been some kind of vector for like narratively for thinking about what it means to be out of place and to feel the press of like sociopolitical limitations on what you feel able to do or be or say. But like, whatever, we don't get into that. Ha ha, he can't speak.
0: I'm not speak good.
1: His funny mangled
0: English is you know second language english skills in part because of the political background of the idea of russia and the recent history of russia positioned against the united states this is the exact kind of like other that it's totally okay to make fun of for being different cater is white He's a big, well-paid, famous white man who, as far as we can tell, is just, like, hat. And while, yeah, I do think that there's the burden of the Russian state policing, who gets to come and go, is part of what's going on in the background like a little bit as tomato described none of that's actually in the comic like there's there's literally nothing that makes tater really different in any way except that he's a foreigner with a funny accent who can't talk good it's okay to find that a source of humor and exploit it for laughs, and basically make this character a kind of like manic pixie dream Russian space cadet himbo, because the way in which he's different is socially acceptable. I'm not saying that you shouldn't make fun of Russian people. They seem pretty ridiculous. And while I'm sure a lot of them are not having a great time right now, perhaps even ever, the one that's drawn here seems like, you know, he's for the most part, probably making fun of him as some kind of punching up. Because of the kind of Cold War history, and also because of the context of the age of empire, it is true that Russia has, historically been constructed as like the East, in some senses different from like white Western society, even though like it is just like a a empire slash sovereign state that controls an enormous number of resources giant amounts of of oil reserves. They have shitloads of lands, nukes, (laughs) many, many nukes. And it's basically just like full of white people whose history is just as spotty as ours is like in, in the U.S. But I guess also like I'm recording this in Britain, also Britain. Like they were an empire, like not to... You know, they they weren't not like doing the same things everybody else was doing. That said, the white Christian people who were sort of like east of Italy were effectively treated like they were some sort of like different or lower status by the kind of like cultural hegemony of Western and, and Northern Europe. And this kind of got translated into the way that the world was constructed during the Cold War. You know, you've probably heard the the phrase first world countries. The second world, you know, so not the first world, but the second one, the one that wasn't good enough was was the group of countries that were aligned with the Soviet Union. I'm not saying this means like Russia is oppressed or like Russian identity is oppressed. I'm not drawing that kind of comparison. What I'm trying to do is explain that like this is historically a very safe and very welcomed like type of person to basically be like, Ha ha, these people are funny. Yeah, I don't know. I've 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 read fanfics about Alexander Ovechkin. Seems like he is.
1: This is this is kind of like why we get to where we are with Tater. Part of Russia being an empire also means that of course there are non-white people in that empire who like were colonized, right? Like the easternmost parts of Russia and in the sort of center of Russia are Western Asian and Eastern Asian peoples, Turkic peoples. Siberian people's indigenous tribes who, like, were colonized and murdered. and like so on and so forth, right? So, so there's also this, like complex history within Russia of race that does not at all match the American idea of race or the sort of Western European idea of race, which is also different from the American idea, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not suggesting that Tater is like actually like an indigenous person from Western Asia. I don't think that that is in the text at all. It's just that, like, all of these things impact the West's view of Russia and therefore of white people who come out of Russia to the West, right? And Eastern European is sort of constructed in this way and Southeastern Europe is constructed in this way that's like bizarre and othering. And anyway, I'm probably, I'm like overly invested because in case you can't tell, some of my family is from there. Um, so I have like complicated feelings about this, right? But regardless, I think that even though uh, my, like Tater is like a fictional well-paid <laughs> very powerfully constructed character who is like doing just fine in his fictional universe even though Tater has this particular kind of power I think it's like worth examining what kind of punchlines happen in this comic and like how they shift over time how like puck bunnies is this sort of like punchline that gets I mean March is actually brought up in this in this particular strip but like who cares about her <laughs> she's a woman we're not gonna write about her that idea of puck Bunny sort of like disappears over time it gets replaced with like this like wholesome gay marriage but in the meantime we can make fun of Tater because he has a funny accent haha but like it is actually not great necessarily in a universalist sense to make fun of someone who doesn't speak English quote unquote properly and so I don't know I just feel like without getting into like, Tater's oppressed. He's not. He's fake. And also a millionaire. He's fine. But I do think there's like something interesting about this comic's construction as this super wholesome, super loving story, when in fact, like it takes pot shots at people all the time. And I'm again, this is not like call out for Ngozi for
0: not understanding that like non Russian privilege. It's more so just, like, explaining why, like, this is happening the way that it's happening. Go ahead and shit on Tater. He, you can't hurt him. He's fake. Along with there being lots of Russians in the NHL, there's a few different things that are, like, elements of real hockey that are sort of sliding into this comic through the mechanism of meeting an NHL team. One of them is that NHL teams love PR and social media engagement uh, with the fan base. And this is uh, the stuff in this comic, this kind of like what's up softeners TV or whatever is like directly taken out of the little PR films and gags and things that NHL fans produce seemingly almost exclusively to generate slash fiction.
1: Ripped from the headlines, the gay hockey headlines. I mean I remember the first one of these videos I ever saw were two people from the Hawks like trying to eat popsicles faster than the other so yes it definitely is designed either for slash fiction or Uh, for satisfying the homoerotic urges of men who just don't know what they want. I will also say that I think NHL sort of TV of this style is is interesting because it's kind of a way to defang this like super violent sport. At least this is how I see it. Like jokey behind the scenes pranksterism and like eating popsicles hilariously is less common in the other sports. Baseball, for example, a much less violent sport, a a sport that is framed as less quote masculine among certain kinds of sports fans, doesn't necessarily like engage in this in the same way. Whereas this like deeply violent sport that has punching as part of it does do this sort of like humanizing defanging thing. I don't know, I think it's really interesting. And I think that the, the fact that it's part of this comic is like also quite interesting. Jack's anxiety is a significant part of his character you know for the first two years of the comic and Jack's fear of being seen and known like as we see in his in that first comic where you know the little hockey prince essentially like his fear of being seen is so present and I think that that makes it really interesting that the way that we sort of see him among the falconers is through Tater videoing him also really like that it brings a kind of pov outsider sensibility i think it's like a cool way to show jack in his new environment i love pov outsider as a tag and as a way of telling stories and it's much more common in fanfic than in original fiction because like it's much harder to do in original fiction because you have to build up all the different relationships and like make the reader care from outside but we already have those investment in those relationships by this strip so i like that like by taking up from tater's perspective we get this new way of looking at jack particularly in a comic that is at least starting to engage with this idea of like, what does it mean to be gay in the NHL? What does it mean to be the wrong kind of, quote, masculine, unquote, in the NHL? I think it's interesting that it's through this lens of NHL TV.
0: We meet some older NHL players. These are um, Guy, or if he's French, perhaps it's Guy, Marty, and 30. They all have beards. They look old. Honestly, hockey careers are, like, not that long. So probably these, like, old guys are, they've got to be, what, like, in their mid-30s? Like, they're still playing hockey. Like, how old could they possibly be? Maybe, maybe they're in their, like, early 40s. But you want to know what, tomato? That's not that old.
1: I did have a sudden a sudden sort of like sensory like dream that came upon me of Jack going I'm gay and that was really good and I really liked that and I wish it were in the comic but it's not because these people don't matter I got the impression for some reason that
0: he was going to be important somehow (laughs) but it's like he's basically never never mentioned again (laughs) or if he is it's like in in one place but the fact that Jack makes this comment about, like, I, you know, apparently he, he doesn't not like me <laughs> or, like, whatever Jack says. I, I just got the idea that there's going to be more, like, maybe maybe Guy is gay. I don't know. <laughs> and, and they're going to have a heart-to-heart. But, like, he's not. They don't. Never comes up again. Who cares? Don't give a shit about these people. What's a little bit more interesting is Jack's, like, very awkward, candid interview tater is like goofing around as is his way and jack gives a very pat you know it's just it's great to be on the team and love to be with the guys and the guys on the team are great and it's great to be on the team with the guys variety of answer and then tater makes fun of him for doing that cute moment
1: It gives us insight into Jack. It's not a surprise, but it's like further confirmation that he's always a nightmare, you know? And I like that. And there's a specific moment where Tater says, lightning questions, your girlfriend's so good cook, you know, so when I'm coming over, huh? Ha -ha!" And like, I lost my mind about this back in 2016. Like that little sting of dramatic irony sent me into truly paroxysms of like fear and joy that little bittersweet assumption was so delicious, especially when followed by the, the panels that come later. And I really thought that like the entire rest of the comic was going to be wrestling with this very complex tension. It made me lose my mind. I was so fucking excited. And I, I do like the way that Tater operates as this, it's like NHL avatar or something because we as the audience know that that Jack is, is gay, right? But I like the way that Tater Acts towards Jack like he's normal, <laughs> and then Jack just isn't. There's something really fun about that to me, and the fact that part of Tater's assumption about Jack is that he's straight, and then we know he isn't. Like I don't know, that like little sting was like so delicious. Well, enough of that. Let's go back to Samwell.
0: It's time to have breakfast. March is mentioned. This is the last time she'll be mentioned. We met her at the Epic Hagster. And I think the implication here is that Ransom is like dating her, but isn't that good at it? Or isn't that courteous a boyfriend or something? But then this is never picked up again. It's a cute moment. It's fine. But it kind of suggests that like something was dropped. There's also some comments on Biddy's year three Twitter. If you care to go download that somewhere about how like oh it's interesting that everybody on you know everybody in this friends group is dating now which i think is um partly a reference to this kind of like dropped plot line but whatever doesn't matter ransom has a new girlfriend it's tater yeah and they're all like oh he's so swassum wow he's so fun he's so great he's swassum like how is he swassum like, what is it that he does that makes him swawesome, Or as normal people say, awesome. He plays hockey, but like, they're all hockey players. Like, what is it about this guy? Why? I guess this is just my, com- my question about this comic. Why?
1: Hey, he does embarrass Jack on camera. And I do think that that's like appealing to them. <laughs> I actually think that this is pretty real. Like, I think that the way they treat Kent Parson when he shows up is similarly kind of like, oh my God, it's Kent Parson, you know? I think that Tater is like a big NHL deal. He perhaps isn't Kent Parson, you know, but he's still a big deal.
0: But with Kent Parson, they're like, he's on a 14 game winning streak. He was this, he was that. They like know his stats who is everyone talking about? That's Kent Parson. They don't tell you that Kent Parson is swassum. They're not like, oh, he's amazing. They're like, okay, so he's probably, probably tied for the best hockey player in the world right now. It's like, that's how they're talking about him. They're not just saying like, yeah, he's great. They're like telling you what's great about him and the fact that they think that he's great comes through the things that they're saying we're not in a creative writing class or anything but like that's what good writing is it's you know that they think that he's great because they're telling you what's great about him in this one they're just like yeah he's fun yeah he's great he's he's great i love him but the way that their faces are drawn beatifically is It's just like, okay, who gives a shit? What? All right. Okay. You think he's great. Goodbye. It's just like a
1: running gag. It's a runner. The specific thing about Ken Parson is that it builds this mythology around him. And I think to do that with Tater would like be not as successful because he doesn't have this like, dark past with Jack, right? he's just some dude. So I think it makes sense to me that the writing is different around him. And I also think that probably Ngozi was just like, I don't want to make up stats for this guy. They just say that he's awesome. And like, that's what it is. I do think that it's realistic that especially Ransom and Holster, right? Especially Holster, but Ransom too, like they were serious enough about hockey that they tried to make it professionally and they couldn't. So I think that like someone who fulfilled that dream it makes sense to me that there would be sort of a hero worship thing going on especially you know he's like a pretty star player who's playing with their friend it doesn't bother me that much I agree that the writing isn't as elegant as it is around Kent but I also think that Kent is like a cultural phenomenon and Tater simply isn't when he says oh my goodness Tater's always making up things to tease Jack about I really love that I think that it's like it's like very bitty and it's also horrible. It's like not how any person on planet Earth talks, but it's also great. And I love that then he just tries to distract by like seeing, ha you should see this one face off he did with Snowy and Third. It's incredible. And And they always eat breakfast together. Isn't that adorable? And it's like just this panicked rambling. I like that he, when panicked, like reverts to being like, you know, a very proper Southern lady. <laughs> I just really enjoy that. Um, Okay. Well, I have a question for you. What is Biddy wearing?
0: What is Biddy wearing? Well, welcome back to our recurring recurring segments. What is Biddy wearing? Watch.
1: He's wearing Jack's flannel. How does nobody notice that Biddy suddenly pops up with Jack's clothing? Who cares? Doesn't matter. It's romantic and sweet and we love them so much and they're so in love. And in fact, they're so in love that they Skype every night. Incredible. Well, it's like everybody in this comic
0: has the same flannel. It's just, they're a hockey team. I don't know what to tell you. So they Skype every night. This scene is well-constructed. Jack is wearing a Samwell men's hockey shirt and Biddy is wearing a falconer shirt and this is a pretty obvious, you know, they're they're wearing the thing that symbolizes the other one. They're bound together in that sense. Uh, In these panels, the color, is mirrored in in each image. It's this like wash of blues with accents of reds and grays. It's pretty evident if you look at it that there's like a, a harmony, but a little bit more of a pronouncement of, you know, Jack Sheets or Falconer sheets and Biddy's blanket is a Samwell blanket, not in the sense that it's like branded, but just like in terms of the color, it it seems. Pretty clear and pretty obvious, but they have these connections to each other sewn over these two panels where they're, you know, gazing at each other's screens, you know, gazing at each other's faces. Jack is holding the computer almost like he's like he's holding Biddy's face or something. I've come to this conclusion because I have no idea what sort of human man would hold a computer (laughs) a laptop by the screen in both hands that seems like a a yearning gesture (laughs) toward the person on the other end more so than like, it's, he's getting thumbprints on his computer. (laughs) I really want to point out, and if you take nothing else away from this episode, let it be only this, that Jack has a Dell that's very obviously a Dell. You can tell because the logo was a circle and then, even though it's like blurred because it's a brand, it's very obviously like, you know, the the way that it says Dell four letters inside the circle on a Dell computer.
1: Well, that's in keeping with Jack's whole technological deal, I would say. So very in character, computer choice. Crazy that they Skype every night that's so much talking to one person and maybe this is just too much insight to me as a person but that sounds awful and i do think though that it's really realistic for this kind of like puppy love early relationship that's a secret from everybody they can only talk about it to each other it especially because they're in like perfect harmonious union with each other blah 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 like i do think that that very much comes through that i just also think it's insane and that that insanity is delicious. So, you know, let's talk about their codependence at some other some other juncture. I don't think that's in the text of the comic right now. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I don't remember when the NHL threatened strike or like players movement was to make sure that everyone had their own rooms on roadies. Maybe it had already happened at this point. I don't remember, but I am curious, like how the fuck is Jack keeping Biddy hidden from his roadie roommate if he has one or that he Skypes every night? Like it is common on roadies to like, go out afterward or whatever. So how is Jack like hiding the fact that he is always talking to a man?
0: Here's the answer. The season hasn't started yet. They haven't had any roadies. Biddy mentions this thing about jam. So long story short, there's this runner that begins in this strip and basically goes through the rest of Check, Please. It's not super serious. It's pretty much like used for light uh, humor. But it is also kind of like funny because it's sort of like how Southerners are. Biddy's mother is in a fight with her sister, Biddy's aunt Judy, over a jam recipe. Biddy is worried about getting in trouble because he's been using his aunt's jam recipe instead of his mother's some traditional family recipe. And then I think the aunt like reduced the amount of sugar and something, something it's not actually interesting, but it's, it's used as a heavy handed metaphor in at least some blog posts and also a mirror to the issue of Biddy coming out or not. Because he's hiding from his mother that he's making his aunt's jam, not his mother's jam. And he's afraid that she'll be angry about it. Is there a lot to say about this? No. Is it slightly accurate to a certain kind of like petty jam-making Southern woman Yeah, seems, sounds about right. Does this have any consequence? No, it's just like a little ongoing thing that's kind of happening in the background that is first mentioned in this comic. Jack seems interested in what's going on with it, but Biddy would rather hear about those softeners, handsome. The one thing that I find incredibly effective, like in this strip, is Jack displaying signs of possible feelings about being closeted he seems sad or maybe regretful he sighs both when tater says that thing about his girlfriend and jack is kind of like uh-huh and then when biddy makes the comment about he couldn't actually tell their friends that they've been skyping this much Jack makes this just like, I don't know, sad face or something. And it's really affecting. It shows a kind of depth to this character that very soon we will mourn because this thread will not be pulled through to the end of Check Please. Much of why I thought Check Please was going to be the kind of comic that it is is because this is around where I started reading. What seems to be being implied is not just that there's going to be some kind of conflict or some sort of tension around coming out or not coming out and being gay or being super gay, but Jack having feelings about it. And this just does not get especially examined, but I still like this little moment in this one panel.
1: Think it's especially interesting and delicious as a character moment because jack is apologizing to biddy for having to be in the closet seems like he doesn't want to be in the closet when you might assume based on his like complete inability to talk about anything forever that he would be the one who would want to be in the closet. Whereas Biddy is like very protective of Jack's career, but also like Biddy doesn't wanna come out to his parents. There's like multiple motivations here that are clashing that I really thought were gonna get teased out in a meaningful way. And that's part of why I really liked Check Please, years one and two. I was like, what a cute comic. And then I fucking went crazy at the beginning of year three and got in the fandom very deeply, as opposed to the sort of casual things I'd been doing before. Because all of a sudden the characters seem to have this new complex relationship to each other. Like, yes, Biddy and Jack are like in perfect love or whatever. But actually they want different things. And the way that Biddy doesn't necessarily want to come out, even though he's the one who is in fact out, is like really interesting and it says something about their relationship. It says something about their dynamic. it says something about where they come from. Like it's really thoughtful and interesting. And especially because it's happening in this like beautifully drawn panel. you can just feel the tension between them because of the gutter between the images, like the white space between the two images. It's so finely constructed. The tension is so palpable. And I just was like, wow, I really trust this author to do something with these elements she's introducing because this is so complex and so real even in this like very silly fourth wall breaking like hockey hijinks comic i was also convinced that this tension would be explored at least in some relationship to kent because of the way that kent was talked about the previous year and because of other things about kent parsons jack's history is not present in this one panel, but it is, you can feel the weight of it, right? And like the particular weight of being seen and the particular weight of being like famous and his OD and his relationship and da-da-da. You can like feel that in this tension between them and how it's different now, how he like wants to maybe come out in a way that he didn't before or couldn't before. So there's like something really fascinating here that uh yeah just disappears because Jack becomes a cardboard cutout. Cause he probably gets back on, you know, Benzos, because it's hard to be a, it's hard to be a hockey player. I have always really regretted that we
0: don't know or at least haven't seen the conversations that led up to them keeping their relationship under wraps they both probably actually just assumed like yeah obviously this would be what happens mutually beneficial to both of them to be in this relationship because they both don't necessarily want to have a relationship that's public in this dimension obviously i think they both are sort of torn on it but yeah i mean biddy doesn't want to be out to his parents he you know, is out to his friend. I mean, and like, this is very normal, by the way. Like, it's, being out is not a zero-sum game. You can be out to some people and not out to other people. And it's not like an all-or-nothing gambit, I guess, unless you're a famous hockey player. Since they don't talk about it, unless it's coming up in that Madison comic that's coming out some time. I think it's also possible that Jack asked Bitty to keep their relationship secret. It would be obvious why you wouldn't see Jack doing that because it would make him look pretty bad even though his life, his safety, his career, et cetera, his emotional and mental health are all part of this situation as well. So it's his right to not want to be out necessarily. Asking somebody else to keep a relationship secret so that you can continue to be a professional hockey player is it's a pretty damning, you know, interaction, especially in terms of like the power dynamic between these two characters. It's no wonder that you would wouldn't see that or want to draw it but i'd say that's probably the the second most likely thing you wonder if maybe like bd offered to keep it a secret like maybe it's bd sort of preempted a conversation around it by just saying of course i'm not going to tell anybody or saying well of course we can't tell anybody and just sort of preempting any sort of further conversation about it but The way that Jack seems a little like, it just seems like he's having some sort of like ill-defined emotional reaction to this circumstance, which he's a person, so you'd think he would.
1: I highly doubt that the Madison comic will answer it, but you know, maybe. I agree that them both assuming is the most likely answer, but I'm like fascinated by this idea that maybe Biddy offered because I find Biddy to be a very... Okay, unfortunately, the phrase that's occurring to me is manipulative from the bottom, and I regret it, (laughs) and I'm sorry. But what I mean is that he's like a character who sort of is passive-aggressive in certain ways, and like, tries to get what he wants from positions of assuming he doesn't have power, or acting in a way that's sort of like, he doesn't have power, even if he maybe does, at least that's how it seems to me. So- I find this idea that Biddy would offer like framing as a favor to Jack, right? But actually it also serves what Biddy wants, which is to not tell his parents. I think that that would be like really interesting. But I could see any three of these things happening. I just don't think the Madison comics going to give me anything that I want except maybe maybe confirming how much sex they had in that truck. Some non-zero a few comics
0: from now. Jack shows up at the house in the middle of the night and is basically like We have to come out. You're miserable. Again, we don't have this information, so it's hard to make this reading. But which of these things it is changes the meaning of of that particular interaction. If Biddy has been saying that they have to stay in the closet for Jack's sake and Jack really hasn't wanted to be, then that's a completely different moment than if Jack has basically been... The person who's been saying, I can't be out. And then all of a sudden he like, he turns on a dime and is like, okay, I've reached my limit. We're coming out now. Goodbye. I understand why it's not in the comic. It's just information, like background information about this relationship that, that you can really only guess at.
1: Yeah. And I think that their power dynamic and the power dynamic, like of each of their particular social positions is something that this part of the comic explores. And I actually think that like the final panel where Jack sort of acts weirdly paternal towards Biddy or coach-like perhaps is is interesting because it's not new, right? He does that with Eat More Protein Biddle, but it's now like tempered by affection in a particular way that makes it to me like slightly weird. I don't know, what he actually says is all right, Biddle, we've got 10 more minutes before bed. Have you practiced your vocab for your French quiz tomorrow? And Biddy says, um, upon which Jack says, Biddle. And then Biddy promises, I'll learn the word at breakfast. And then they kind of like get into more talking about those handsome falconers. But I think it's really kind of strange because it's so like weird and paternal, especially as Biddy becomes more and more motherly towards Jack, as we'll see as we go forward. I don't think this is like a purposeful thing. In the comic, I think it's just the construction of like particular roles that Ngozi decided on for whatever reason. And like, this is a way of showing that the characters care about each other, but it makes me feel crazy. I think that's saying like, tell me more about those falconers, handsome. Like calling someone handsome like that? Sure. Yeah, I guess that's a thing you could do for a partner. It is definitely also a thing that people say to their children or like their pets. So there's like something like, weird there that I, I can't quite wrap my head around, but they are parental towards each other in a way that like makes me feel like I'm on fire, even though I don't think it was a purposeful narrative decision because the sort of like Freudian slip of the comic in the sense that um it just slips right out, not in the sense that it comes out by accident, is that Both of these characters have like weird relationships with their parents and it makes me think about their relationships with each other really interesting ways. I don't know I just find that interaction very strange and if someone who I had just started dating did that to me I'd be like back off weirdo but you know that's me.
0: I would feel very uncomfortable if I were complimented just at all. (laughs)
1: yeah but especially handsome right like hey beautiful hey handsome that's like a thing you say to like a toddler or like a or like a cat it's not something that i hear people say or maybe maybe to their i don't know i guess maybe to their partner but it's just like not something i ever hear anyone i'm friends with say to their partner so it strikes me as very strange
0: I would say my M.O.
1: is to be endearing by emasculating. I like Biddy's design in this comic. I think it follows from our discussion of Ngozi's art in the last strip. Um, He seems anxious and weird, and his design is just really nice. It's this balance between his big, anxious eyes and his sharp jaw, which makes him seem more adult than he does in the first know the first year of the comic and even the second and i think that the body language works really well throughout actually all of these strips like the the hockey players like manliness versus biddy's anxious motherly concern if you ask me but just this anxious concern and the way that jack's body language shifts between talking in bed at home with Biddy and the way that he sort of behaves in public i think that that's like really nice I also think Biddy does not look like a child, which wasn't always true and won't remain true. But for right now, it's nice. You know, he looks like, you know, he looks like a 20 year old. It's nice. He is 20, by the way, I think right around there. Fun, Uh, maybe 21. Anyway, he's so grown up and Jack is... Definitely not in a vastly different power position than him and it's all fine and they're all grown ups, and it's great and they're married, hooray. Anyway, I also looked at the comic notes just to see what was there and it wasn't at all interesting. It was more of the same like, you'll see, you'll see, just trust me, wink, that like never goes anywhere. And in particular, I thought it was funny that Ngozi had a point that said, okay, but those other falconers and names all of them, where are they from? What are their favorite foods? What are their hopes and dreams? To which Ngozi replies, well, we probably know them as well as Biddy does at the moment. Or as well as Jack, for that matter. New co-workers, right? And that's not even all of them, Oi! But don't buckle your seatbelt in, because this car is going nowhere. You can just hang out free and easy. Last but not least, in terms of the notes, there's like a little, you know, there's a little extra at the top of them. And I like Jack and Tater have had a little like logo drawing contest. Most people who play hockey can't draw because they've only ever played hockey in their entire lives and have never tried another skill. So they're pretty bad at drawing. And I like that Jack responds to doing a better job with, I went again, eh? I think it's just like a nice little detail. God, this was a lot of comic. There's so fucking much in this strip. It's actually wild. This trend will continue. Get ready for really long episodes, I guess. Get ready, I guess. Or,
0: I mean, I guess we don't have to talk about everything. Like, you know, we don't need to give a pressy on the history of Magnitogorsk every single episode. But like, so much is jammed in here. Much like you, this is the period where I was beginning to become just like obsessed with this comic and it's because all this shit is happening but it's all happening deliciously and i could taste i could taste the the sensuous rippling drama <laughs> that was going to be unfolding and it'll continue unfolding
1: until it doesn't
0: things keep being juicy it's just you know not all juice is tasty <laughs> all right well i have been secret. And you can find me on Tumblr at Camilliar, C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R or S-K-R-T-O-M-G. And I'm also on AO3 at
1: Familiar. And I'm Tomato, and you can find me at tomato or on AO3 at tomato underscore greens. And you can find our podcast at checkdisplease.tumblr.com, at checkdisplease.xyz on Podbean and on Spotify. All right. Well, next time we will be
0: back for comic 3.4, Home Opener.
1: This comic made me feel like my veins were like full of delicious, delicious ice and fire at the same time and confusion and excitement and potatoes. So what an adventure. In conclusion,
0: potatoes, not bad. You want to know what? There's some significant potatoes in the next comic too. So join us, won't you? For more potatoes when we talk about 3.4 Home
1: Opener. And with that excellent segue, good night. Goodbye and good night. Oh shit!
0: You want to know what? I didn't even plan it, but I I ate potatoes today. <gasps> yeah, I I was like, oh god, I gotta eat these potatoes. to go bad. <laughs> So yeah, I cooked some potatoes. You know, will this will this end up in the episode? Who's to say? But honestly, they were pretty good. I mean, "Check Displeased" is written, recorded, and produced by Secret and Tomato. Our theme music is by Tomato, and our art is by Nahingen.